This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got another special guest on the podcast. His name is John Deloney. So he is an author, mental health expert. He actually has two PhDs, one in counselor education and supervision and the other in higher education administration. And he is the host of the John Deloney Show. So in 2020, he joined Ramsey Solutions. So that's financial commentator and radio show host Dave Ramsey's company. That same year, he released the book Redefining Anxiety, what it is, what it isn't, and how to get your life back. And today on this podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about his new book that is out this week, if you're listening to this on time, and it's called own your past, change your future. Now, I know some of you guys are going to hear that title, own your past, change your future, and be like, Kyle, this is a self-help guy. I thought you weren't going to have these self-help guys on the show. It goes way deeper than that. So we'll get into the book and we'll get into why he wrote it and why he wrote it the way that he did and some of the things in the book. But the thing that I love about this interview is even off air beforehand, he and I are giving each other crap or razzing each other. And you just know that he's comfortable with himself. I'm comfortable with myself. And we disagreed several times throughout this podcast interview. And it went totally fine because both of us came to the disagreement wanting to get our point across, but also being curious as to the other person's position and how they got there. Now, this was about an hour long interview, so it wasn't like we were sitting down over scotching a cigar for three or four hours, really hashing these things out. So you can't really do that. So some of you guys are going to be screaming at me throughout this podcast. Like, why didn't you ask this? Why did you follow up on that? Guys, we didn't have time. I didn't really get to half of the questions I wanted to ask him because we kept having these interesting things come up and I just kind of weaved to this question and weaved to that question. But we did have a little dust up toward the end. And I, I use that term very, very nicely. It wasn't a, it wasn't a mean thing, but we got into the subject of truth because I think he and I have a fundamental disagreement on what that means and how that basically allows us to operate in the world that we're in. So if that doesn't sell you on the fact that you should listen to this interview all the way through the end, I can't help you any further, but guys, I'm not going to keep him from you any longer. So without further ado, let's get into it. John Deloney, welcome to Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. What's up, brother? How we doing? I'm doing good. I got to say, I, I thought about yelling my intro because you seem to yell a lot, which I like because it gets me all fired up, but I just don't have the pipes for it. Like, I mean, is that my wife what you want tells me to redo? Me, my wife tells me, John, you're a lot. You're a lot. So yeah, I, I think, I don't mean to yell. I just get excited about things, man. Yeah, well, the funny thing as well is I've had people talk to me before and they can't exactly get the words out. They're like, Kyle, you're like a lot of people <laughs> at once and I don't really know what to do. So I think we're going to get along just fine. But right from the beginning, I want to talk about what you call your line. Okay. So your okay. line is I'm a mental health expert, mm-hmm. but let's say I don't believe you and you have to yes. prove it to me and I don't even know who you are. So how do you <laughs> prove to me that you are a mental health expert? One of the great gifts of this part of my life is I don't have to prove anything to anybody. I got two kids that like me on most days. My wife likes me three days, four days out of seven. And so, man, I'm in. And uh, I got a paycheck that deposits when I do good work. So, yeah, if if I had to prove it, what I would tell you is it's a combination of three things. One, I've made the walk myself. Two, I've got the... um, academic credentials. And we're in this weird world where the more knowledge you have, not, I read a bunch of Instagram posts and, or I listened to a couple of podcasts, but um, you've done intense training um, academically over the last five, 10, 15 years. And um, I've sat with, uh, with, I've done the work, right? I've seen people, I've walked alongside people in the most insane situations, the most catastrophic situations, the wheels have completely coming off their life. And so it's that combination of experience and actual knowledge. And I've walked the walk myself that would say, Hey, I, I could, I, I've earned a seat at the table. Well, the interesting thing about that, John, is for you, like you've actually experienced real life crises and you kind of alluded to it a second ago and we'll get way more into it whenever we get into your book, but you've dealt with like actual life and death situations. Whereas most of us, a crisis is like, oh, I broke a nail on the way to work or I left my (laughs) iPad at home. It's not like a real life stuff. So kind of take us through that a little bit because I think it really does inform a lot of the stuff and a lot of the advice that you give out, right? Well, yeah. So the last two decades I've spent as a Dean of Students type professional in colleges and universities. And so with that job, you spend a lot of time in hospitals. You spend a lot of time making phone calls to parents, letting them know, hey, your kid's in ICU, your kid's in a psych ward, your kid has passed away, and we need you to come to town ASAP, right? Or you're dealing with um, a student who's so intoxicated, like their blood alcohol levels 0.45, and 
they're vomiting everywhere and they're bleeding everywhere and you got to deal with the students and then their friends. Right. So that's part of it. Right. Where I got into what I would call life-changing work was I joined a former professor of mine. And what he did was he's a mental health professional who served as a crisis responder victim services. And so we had a patrol car, we had a team that would drive out um, with police officers. And when a police officer shows up to a scene where someone has passed away, they start that scene homicide back, right? What's the worst thing that could have happened here? We need to take all the evidence and we're going to work it back. That doesn't help a mother whose two-year-old has just died. No, right. That's hard for a 75-year-old woman whose husband just had a heart attack, whose 14-year-old son just committed suicide, right? So they would bring us in to help with the death notifications, to sit there and hug the mothers. I've spent, I've cleaned brains off of walls before, before a mom got there to a seat, right? So you see the worst of the worst mm-hmm. of the worst. And more importantly than the worst of the worst, you're dealing in the hearts and minds of people who the unimaginable has happened, right? So it was my job to let the police officers do their job and to point people to resources in the community and take care of people. So yeah, um, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't compare crisis, like depending on where you grew up and what's happened to you in your life, big things are a big deal to you. But yeah, uh, I've seen some stuff and my dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator growing up. So I grew up with, (laughs) I had very different dinner table stories growing up than most kids. Absolutely. And I wasn't planning on asking this, but you kind of brought it up. So at Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness. Yeah. A lot of men are very uncomfortable with darkness. They, they don't even want to see it, so they can't push back against it. But something that I feel like is weird with my personality, I don't know if it's concerning or not, is that I'm kind of attracted to darkness a little mm-hmm. bit so that I can see where it is so yeah. that I can push it back. Not because I'm like, you know, dancing with the devil as it were. It kind of seems like you have a little bit of that in your personality as well. Do you think that's virtue of your wiring, kind of the wiring that God gave you to be kind of comfortable in those dark situations? Is it just because it's old hat because of the conversations you had around the dinner table with your dad and the stuff that you've seen? It's probably both. And I do believe that when you come on a scene and you see a dead body, um, there's usually one of two reactions. You lean in a little bit closer or you, you're, you or you're, brain takes over, you physically close your eyes and you turn away. And I happened to be, I remember calling my dad after the first time I had to deal with a, a live scene, right? It was a mess. And I called my dad and I was like, man, here's what just happened. And he said, you leaned in, didn't you? And I said, yep. And he goes, welcome to the, all right. And so it, it's, mm-hmm. it was something I stumbled into, but yeah, I also am not going to discount the stories I grew up with. Um, back then dad, there was no way for police officers for military. There was no place to process. And so I was a safe place for my dad to tell stories and talk about, Hey, this happened and that happened. And I had, I experienced this this weekend. So a lot of that downloaded too. So it's probably some both and. Yeah. I think the lean in once you recognize that you have that lean in personality, you should probably lean into that a little bit further because I think God has wired you to deal with some of the darkness that some of his children can't. And so let's kind of come out of the world of darkness and go to the world of light. Let's talk about Ramsey solutions. So you joined up with uh, Dave Ramsey and his crew back in 2020, I believe. And so just take us through how all that went down because before that you're working, you know, as a counselor, you're doing the higher education administration stuff. So it's not exactly a straight line to the guy that cuts up credit cards. So, so help me kind of figure that out. Oh, dude, there is no, <laughs> not only is there no straight line, there's no dotted line. There's no connective tissue at all. <laughs> okay, there you uh, go. I spent my entire life, um, especially the last 15 years, trying to disappear from the internet. I didn't want to exist. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, two universities ago, my boss called me after four years of working there. And she said, I have to put you on the website that you work here. It looks like we have no Dean of Students. And so I was <laughs> right. like, fine. So my goal was always to be the guy behind the guy. Um I wanted to, when the wheels fall off, I wanted to be the guy that showed up in the middle of the night that could sit with you in the ugliest, bleakest, bloodiest moments, point you to resources, circle back and, and not exist. Right. That's, that was the, always the goal. Um, I had these fantasies of having a business where I didn't have any, any, there's no way to get a hold of me unless you knew somebody who had my number. Right. And that's not real. That's not how the world works. Yeah. I've watched too many movies, but it sounded good. Um, and then I gave a presentation to about a thousand, um, students and their parents and Dave Ramsey's executive VP was in the audience. And she said, I'm going to hire that guy. Dave's been saying for 20 years, money, man, your debt problems, what your inability to talk to your spouse about, dude, this is, that's 20% math. It is 80% psychology, 80% relational. You got problems. It's revealing of who you are, what's going on inside of you. And see, finally, he said, I'm just going to hire my own. I've been referring people out for years. I'm just going to hire my own. So I, I, my wife and I took a wild left turn in our lives and 
jump ship and here we are. Yeah, it's quite the circuitous route, but it makes a whole lot of sense because I have uh, a lot of background in kind of financial planning and things like that. And I have a lot of friends that are very, very close friends that deal with that. I, it may be 95.5 in terms of the psychological part, because no th think about it, something as basic as like term life insurance with, you know, which Dave talks about constantly. People can't get that through their heads because they can't touch it. It's not like a, right. a phone or, or a microphone or something like that. They can't, they can't touch it. But the thing about it is, is it's not about them. It's about the people that they, you know, purport to care about that, you know, would be taken care of in the event of their untimely demise, but they just can't get it through their head, you That's know, right. psychologically. Well, I, dude, I used to, I used to, when I was seeing counseling clients in my practicum, dude, within two or three sessions, I would know all about their sex lives, the things they were into, not into, number of partners, all that stuff. They would not talk about how much money they owed. No, it's crazy. It a level of shame. And I think it's because there's a metric to it. That it says there's a, we, we've distilled all of our relationships and vacations we did or didn't go on, all the courses we did or didn't take, the colleges we did, and well, all that. We distill it all down into a number and we ask each other, hey, what are you worth? And it's a number. And right. for most people in America, it's a negative number when it comes to equity. And so the answer to what are you worth is not very much. And so we can't even, we can't even say the word out loud. I'd rather tell you all the weird sex stuff I'm into than tell you, hey man, I owe $22,000 in credit card debt. Right. And that's where we are. It just when it comes right. to layering shame on people. I've literally told people that, that people are more open to talking about their sex lives out loud than their money. And people look at me like I've got a boob on the top of my head. It's like, yeah. no, that that's literally what it is. Like it is a crazy situation. And there's a lot that goes into that. Maybe we'll kind of back into that with some other parts of our conversation. But, cool. you know, as part of with, uh, with Ramsey Solutions, you have the Dr. John Deloney show aptly named because that is your name after all. And on this show, <laughs> boring do, title. <laughs> no, hey, but it gets it's to the, the worst, point. man. It's the worst, it, man. It gets to the point. John's a strong name. All right. Just embrace it. But it's like you, you give people life advice on this and, you know, some people might be like, you know, who's this guy? Give me advice, this young whippersnapper type thing. But the thing about it is, I know a lot of these conversations can really put you on tilt because some of these people that call in, they're crazy towns or their situation is just completely bonkers. So do you have any stories that are especially crazy that maybe stick out in your brain of people that called in and said this, that, or the other thing, and you had to try to weave your way to try to help them? Um, yeah, I, 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 I'll reframe that a bit. So one of my favorite things about walking alongside people and just, just being a human being, man, trying to make my way through life on this rock hurtling through space, right, is the, the comple complex interaction between our genetics and the pictures we got growing up, what our dads did or didn't do if they were there or not there, what our granddads did, what our moms did, and then what we saw in media and then what we experienced at schools and whatever and how that all coalesces into a response to something. And man, for years, I was like, that dude's crazy. What are you doing? Why in the world would you get rid of all of your kids for that drug, right? Why would you, what in the world would lead you to hit that, right? I couldn't wrap my head around it until um, it was Dr. Gabor Mata helped me reframe the question. Hmm. And here's, here's the way I will we'll pass this along. If I'm walking down the street and I see this nice dog, and I reach down to pet that dog, and that dog growls at me and bites me. My first thought out of my mind is, dude, your owner sucks. <laughs> Somebody didn't love this dog and honor this dog and give this dog boundaries and feed this dog and teach this dog that people are safe. Somebody hurt this dog. But if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody and I look at them and I'm like, hey, and they mouth off to me, my first thought is, what's the matter with you? Mm. And the way I've reframed it over the last 10 or 15 years is, what happened to you, man? What, what did you experience that led, what are you, it hurts so bad in your heart that heroin makes that go away for a minute, that a bottle of pills makes that go away, that another drink and another drink, or that another 15 hours at the office helps you hide from what, what, like, what is that extra $25,000? Yeah, it's cool, man. And it can get you a shiny thing. What do you, act, you know, so that's changed my question when it comes to the show. So all I have to say is. Nothing really surprises me anymore. I think there's one or two times I've called it out on my show. I've been like, well, I never heard that one before. Right. But usually I've heard this stuff before dealing with just dealing with people. Yeah, before you get into that crazy thing, you brought up something that I feel like is really important because, you know, you're talking to an audience that is really big on personal responsibility. That's yep. kind of their thing. And so as you're as you're saying how you're reframing that question, 
I totally get it. It makes cognitive sense. But at the same time, there's that dissonance in my personality to where like, doesn't that take some of the personal responsibility off of that person? Because it's not their dad's fault that they're doing heroin. They're choosing to do that. Now, right. again, that that's, I'm painting with an incredibly no, you, broad yeah, brush. I, I love, that, that, I love that line of thinking. Yeah, yeah. And so here's the, 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 my response to that would be this. I have a, he's now, tw- he turned 12 yesterday, my son, and he's working through math. Math's hard, right? Especially when your mom and dad are reading nerds, right? We're reading and writing nerds, both of us. And so he's excellent in reading and writing. Math is just more of a struggle this year. If he sits down and looks at algebra and I even, I can even say, Hey, it's all right there. Just read the book and it tells you how to do algebra. And I stand over him and every time he makes the minus sign, I hit him with a stick. Or, I, or worse, worse than hitting with a stick, I say, get out of my presence. You are not welcome in my house until you figure this algebra out. And I send him to the chicken coop to go sleep where our chickens are. The chances of him learning algebra diminish the further I push him away from relationship. And that's yeah. what we've done when it comes to people who are hurting. Now, on the other side, when we turn the lights on, you've got a choice. When I teach you algebra, and I also, more importantly, teach you what it's going to take for you to be successful in algebra, which is more studying than any of your friends, meaning less video game time, meaning less this time, meaning more time with your nose in this book doing something you hate because it pains you because you fail over and over at it. But this is what it's going to take for you to learn algebra. Now that the lights are on and the path is lit, now I can say you're choosing to not do that. And I'm walking alongside you, right? So I would say, yes, when I look at people who are hurting, and say, hey, if you keep hurting like that, I'm going to start hitting you. I'm going to, the thing you need the most, which is human connection, I'm going to weaponize that. Then I think then I, I, the personal personal responsibility, I don't buy it. When I invite you in and say, hey, here's what this looks like. Here's what health looks like. Here's what wholeness looks like. Here's a path forward for you. And your path's going to suck because of the mm-hmm. abuse you've suffered. You grew up in poverty. Your dad bailed all the things, right? But here's what that path looks like. And here's some people that will walk it with you. Now, personal responsibility plays a major, major role. And it's then that I'll hold people accountable and say, whoa, brother. That's why that, the book I just wrote, I divided it up in halves, right? The first half is, hey, I'm going to turn the lights on. And the second half is, now what? What are you going to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great time to really get into the new book. So I really appreciate you and your team sending this my way. It's Own Your Past, Change Your Future, Forward by the one and only Dave Ramsey. And so the thing is, is you do break this up into two parts. And I want you to kind of give me your own synopsis of the book, because I always like hearing from the author what the book is about. Well, let's maybe just start there. So in your own words, as generically as possible, what is this book about? You know, kind of give us a 30,000 foot view. If we all just stop for a minute and look around, uh, everything's off the rails. We know that, right? We know that. We know that in the mirror, when we look at ourselves, we don't like what we look like. We don't like how our lives are. We don't like our sex lives. We don't like our marriages. We don't like our the money we're making. We don't like any of the stuff. And we have an entire culture built around distraction, built about running, built on achievement. Like if yeah. you will just get the next shiny thing, this will all be okay. And so the first half of this book is turning the lights on. Here's, what's, here's what has shifted underneath us in the last 25 or 30 or 40 years that we call normal, that our bodies are not designed to live within, right? Mm-hmm. We are, we've created a universe overnight that our bodies are not designed to live in. And the second half is, that's where most of, uh, the second half is, here's what you do, right? So most of us get to the, I'm only going to be the worst thing that ever happened to me. I'm always just going to be a survivor. I'm always just going to be the worst thing I've ever done. Right. I built a thousand bridges and I sat by my wife while her dad died of cancer. And I sat by her through three kids, but I cheated once and I'll always be a cheater. And that's it. I'm out. Right. So we have a culture that defines us by the worst thing that's ever happened, the worst thing we've ever done. You'll always be a cancer survivor, an abuse survivor, fill in the blank. And what I'm pushing back on is you're right. You have to own those stories, period. If you ignore those stuff or like, yeah, bro, let's just flex past it, your body will solve those forever. And it will kill you through heart attacks, through strokes. There's a reason men die miserable, tired, lonely lives because they don't acknowledge what happened. And though, and all these things happen to you. You were born and you were the wrong color in the wrong neighborhood. You were, all that stuff is true. It's all real. And I'll fight anybody who says it's not. And I have to look in the mirror every morning and say, so now what? Who am I going to become now? What am I going to do now what is healing and wellness for my legacy for my generation how do i change that family tree what awful work do i have to do to stare down this forest fire i'm going to be scarred up i'm going to be burned i'm going to lose a limb 
but my grandkids are going to have different lives because of the work I put in, right? And the work me and my community put in, right? And so that's the point of the book. We've give, dude, brother, we've been given two paths, and this drives me crazy. Path one is you'll all you're, you all you'll ever be is the worst thing that ever happened, right? And mm-hmm. when you're a victim forever, you have to have some sort of entity come save you. You've got to have a government come in and mm-hmm. gift wrap your life for you because you clearly can't do it because your dad left you, because you had this experience. You have these diagnostics as a kid. The other path, though, is the crush it, drag it, kill it. Yeah, Terminator 2, right? If you have a feeling, it's some sort of character defect. It's cowardice. It's weakness. And I'm calling bullcrap on that one too. And so really this book is the new third way. It's both and. I have to acknowledge the stuff and then, dude, I got to be about living a different life. Yeah, it's funny. The, the latter thing that you described there, I, I describe it as caricature masculinity because when yeah. I've been on other people's podcasts, maybe even on debate shows, I'm always kind of typecasted as the, ooh, drag the elk through the woods. <laughs> like I'm, I'm typecast as that, as that guy and I just reject it entirely. I'm like, that, that is not a tender warrior. That's just warrior, right? And that's right. that's dumb warrior. Like it's a completely different thing. But I do like in, in part one of your book, and this, this made me laugh from the very beginning. And I'm like, okay, John and I are going to get along. But you talk <laughs> about how stories are, are the problem, right? Yeah. Stories about the world, about ourselves, about relationships, stories we're told and that happened, and stories that we tell ourselves. That's a lot of stuff, but everybody gets it. But then you say this in the book, the path to being well and changing your life is simple. Just five steps repeated over and over and over again. The five steps are number one, own your stories. Number two, acknowledge reality. Number three, get connected. Number four, change your thoughts. Number five, change your actions. Now, John, what's funny about that is as soon as I read that list, I immediately rolled my eyes and wrote in the, like in the margin, womp, womp. And then literally the very next sentences, you say this, that's it. I know, I know. Don't roll your eyes. Don't, <laughs> don't move on yet. Yes, these steps sound simplistic. They are simple, but this path is hard to walk incredibly hard. So the reason that I rolled my eyes, that was kind of my knee-jerk reaction, is because that list felt like every other five steps to getting your life back. Uh, self-help book that yeah. I've ever read and seen. And I'm sure as soon as I read that list, it hit the ears of my audience a little bit askant. Oh, so dude, it's the worst. Hit, I know. So pitch us, pitch all of us Neanderthals on how those steps at least <laughs> that you lay out in your book that it's not just another generic vanilla self-help book. Oh, I love it, man. So actually when anyone on all the interviews, when someone says, all right, let's talk about the five steps. I always stop them and say, I'm going to stop you right there. Hold on. Um, so I will say this. Um, I turned in a finished manuscript of this book and um, it was the editor. Her name is Jennifer. And she's extraordinary. It was the editor who called one day and said, you realize there's a path woven through this. And I said, Nope, because I reject paths. I think they're lame, and that's not how the world works. <laughs> right. um, Dave Ramsey has come up with a path, and he is the only one who I've ever seen works, and that's just getting out of debt. And that's just simple math, right? Yeah. Um, and she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but there's a path through here, and I'll uh, show it to you. So here's my – there is no five simple steps to better abs. Well, I guess there actually is workout, <laughs> diet, and exercise. Ta-da, there's yeah. only two, right? Yeah. Um, and three, be consistent and do it over and over for the rest of your life. And Right. The, right. But yeah, there's – dude, there's not five steps to being well. The moment you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, dude, things are great, that's when mom calls and says, I got cancer. That's yeah. when they call – that your a buddy from your childhood calls you and says, Hey, I need to let you know your dad just had a heart attack. You need to come home. Right. So there is no, or that's when Russia invades Ukraine. Like it just happens. Right. So they're not five steps in order that they're going to be the rest of your life. What they are are five principles that you can etch in your heart because life comes at you and life sucks. It's hard. It's a grind. And right when you got to figure out your wife's like, you know what I think we should do? And now it's going to all be different. Or right when you figure it out, your kid goes to sixth grade and all hell breaks loose. And then your daughter tells you, you know, dad, I wish you never existed. And she's five. And I, I don't even know. Right. So all of it's changing all the time, all the time, all the time. And if you don't own the stories, your body will solve for that forever. What does that mean? That sounds cheesy. That means if you were four years old and you were running through the living room and you banged your head on the cabinet and it bled. And your dad looked at you and said, that doesn't hurt. Suck it up. Quit whining. That four, yes, there's something about being tough. And there's something about stop crying. I get that. I was born and raised in Texas. I get it. But here's the meta there. That four-year-old boy quickly recognizes that does hurt. I can feel it, but that guy's really smart and he's big. I trust him. The person I can no longer trust is me. 
instead of the dad saying, Hey man, I can tell that hurt. I stand up tall, stand up tall. I know that hurt. I know that hurt and hugging that young boy. Cause he's freaking four. Right. Mm-hmm. And that kid is then going to have an entire life where he doesn't trust himself because that's going to show up and show up and show up and show up. And then that's the kid that some young woman gives him boundaries and he doesn't trust him. Like, nah, it doesn't matter. Right. And then that turns into when he's 28 years old and the boss says, Hey, I think you're going to be the guy who, uh, okay. Even though he th- I'm going to hate this job. It's accounting and budgeting. I'm not put on earth for accounting and budgeting, but they boss it. Right. So you have a lifetime of, of not believing yourself, not trusting yourself and your body has a chemical cascade. It will fill you up with cortisol and adrenaline. When you get in a situation where you can't trust yourself, it's biochemical dude. And so what I'm saying is you got to own your stories. You got to own, look in the mirror and say, I don't trust myself. I don't follow boundaries. I don't respect other people because here's where I'm. I don't respect myself. And then you got to acknowledge reality, dude. You got to look in the mirror and say, I wanted this life. And here's what I got. I'm a hundred pounds overweight. I'm $40,000 in debt because I can't control myself because I keep thinking that car is going to make me whole. This car is going to help me get that girl. These shoes are going to make my wife like me a little more. And really all she wants you to do is do the dishes again and again and again, help out around you, right? You have to acknowledge reality. And only then when you turn on those sterile lights and you look in the mirror and say, this is where we are, that then you can be about healing and about changing this thing moving forward. And dude, this is going to happen again and again and again, where you're on the path and then something happens, you're going to have to stop. I'm going to have to own this story, acknowledge it, and then move on. And it happens quick, 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 quick. But that's the rest of our lives, man. Right. Well, the again and again and again thing, it goes back to what you were talking about in terms of consistently. So those steps like, okay, do these steps over and over. Yeah, it might seem too simple or too whatever. But but I have people ask me all the time, like, Kyle, how can I be in better shape? I'm like, work out all the time. Exercise. Yeah, yeah exercise like every day. Oh, but I really want to get better at pull-ups. Well, uh, I'm going to blow your mind with this. You should probably do pull-ups. Do pull-ups. Like, and then do more pull-ups <laughs> after you've kind of rested and recovered. And it's just like, these steps, like it's not the steps that are hard. It's doing it. That is right. hard. I, I was and, talking to a guy the other day. He, he sent a, a long series of texts. Um, him and his wife are, are separating and, um, it's a heartbreaking situation, but he said, Hey, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. Your wife doesn't want your help. And he wrote back and said, how do you know? And I said, cause she hasn't asked for it. And his response was, Oh, Right. It's like, that's where we are and that's okay. But it's acknowledging these stories, man. And inserting ourselves into all these situations and like, what about this? I'm going to try that. Dude, just work out. Just work out every day. Just do something. It's just be consistent because there are people that are just waiting for, you know, the genie of motivation to like strike them in the tip of their face and be like, yeah, today's the day that we're going to work out. It's like, I never, I'm never motivated to work out ever. It's what's required of me. Right. It is owed of me. Right? right. And we can go into a lot of philosophies there. Maybe we can talk about it, but no, I do I'm with talk- you. I'm with you, man. Well, I want to talk about some stuff from chapter three, because I think in a lot of ways, chapter three may be kind of the hinge point of your entire philosophy to a degree. So you, you talk about a particular story, you talk about, you know, specifically the story that we're told about technology and inter- innovation and how it'll save us. But let me read this quote back to you. The stories told us to believe that our smarts and technology would make everything better, that just the right program or algorithm would solve sadness, loneliness, that's a big one for men, and mental health issues. But then I look at the global mental health crisis, disastrous physical and psychological health in advanced countries, global debt, decreased lifespans in the United States, and the existential crises around or surrounding some of the most important societal pillars, education, faith, and government. Things are not as they should be. I mean, John, earlier in this podcast, you talked about how things are not as they should be. Now, my contention with all of that is that we as a people group have innovated and invented and, you know, invested our way to being our own God. Mm-hmm. We can control our entire environment. We, we have thermostats that will turn on when we walk in the room to make sure that we personally are feeling good. We get in particular cars and everything in the car adjusts because it recognizes our weight and our bony butt structure. Like we can control everything in our environment. And yet we are sicker and sadder and worse off than we've ever been. Help me understand. So we... <laughs> If you go back through the history of time, we've been solving for comfort, for ease, right? Let's, let's make a cleaner plow, a sharper plow. Let's, let's be able to run these grain fields a little bit easier. Let's get a better harness for our horse. Let's, get a, let's, let's breed horses together and make them bigger so they can stronger. They can pull more. They can do more acreage, right? And that's great, and that's wonderful. 
And in the last hundred years, 150, maybe 200 years now, that pace of progress accelerated and we were still solving for comfort. And I'm okay with that. I love leather seats. I love my air conditioner. I love all that stuff, right? Um, but in the process of solving for comfort, what's happened that's new is we have pathologized discomfort. We have made the enemy being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And why is that scary? Because we've taken normal responses like sadness and frustration and boredom and loneliness, and we've created hacks for them. We've created a pill or a distraction or a Band-Aid for these things. And these are core biological issues. Sleep has become a burden, right? Dude, why, why sleep when you can, dude, I got a brighter light for you. Take this, use that. Right. And we, we're taking all these things that our bodies need to exist and run well. And we have thought we've made them, we've made them wrong. And so, yes, dude, we've got all this cool stuff that, that, uh, that caters to our whims, but our bodies aren't designed for 72, 72, 72 life where we go from a 72 degree house to a 72 degree car in a workplace. And then we just reverse engineer that back home. It's designed. Now we have cold tubs for God's sake, dude. And we have saunas. You know what we used to have for that weather. We used to have yeah, weather. Right. We used to have the outdoors. We're, you know what I mean? So we're, we're biohacking our way into insanity when really what our body is craving is human connection, hard things, really strenuous tasks that we fail out regularly and a community to grieve with us, to mourn with us, to celebrate with us, and to do all that over and over and over again. And that's it, man. And we've just way overcomplicated this thing. Well, and that's the thing. It's like we've educated ourselves into imbecility. A really, really smart guy said that quote a long time ago, and the smart guy was not me. So, uh, you know, give that person credit where credit is due. But you're talking about something I really wanted to get into because throughout the book, you mentioned the need for a gang of sorts. So that could be a gang or a group or, or your tribe or your people. And on Daunted Life, we call that a foxhole. And yeah. a foxhole is, you know, a group of guys that are constantly pushing each other to be spiritually, mentally, and physically resilient on a daily basis. And what's funny about it is I talk about 3 a.m. friends and saying so do you and your podcast because we've got a lot of 6 p.m. friends that if you need to move a fridge or you need to ask a question about your taxes or you need to build a fence they're good until about 6 p.m. and then they're just not available to you whereas that 3 a.m. friend if you call them at 3 a.m. As soon as they answer the phone, you hear them putting their pants on, they're putting their boots on, you know, they're putting their pistol in the appendix carry position and they're grabbing a <laughs> shovel because they're assuming we're burying a body. That's right. the only reason why this guy's calling me at this, this hour, but we don't have that. And I'm going to, I'm going to get it even more granular. Men don't have that because yeah. we lost it when we left the police academy or we lost it when we left the military or we lost it, you know, after we graduated from college and we were no longer paying for friends at our fraternity. Whoops. But like that, that's one of those things that it becomes a major issue for men. They just feel like, Oh, I don't need to do this friend thing anymore. I'll just do me. I will yeah. just do Netflix. I'll just do video games, but it's absolutely choking us out. So go a little bit deeper on all of our need for, for a gang or a foxhole, if you will. Well, usually when I talk to tough guys, um, which, uh, my wife, she says I struggle from tough guy complex quite a bit. She's more colorful <laughs> in her language, but um, I start with the data. The data is super clear, man. Um, in 2019, the study, the Journal of American Medical Association put out a study that I thought was going to shake America at its core. And then COVID kicked off and it really got buried. Hmm. But in 2019, it marked the third year in a row that Americans are living shorter lives. Right. Again, mm -hmm. in America, where we spend a bajillions of dollars and we have the greatest resources and the greatest university that we know, and they call them diseases of despair. Loneliness marked by organ disease failure, addiction, mm -hmm. and suicide. And organ disease failure being heart attacks, my stomach cancers, right? My lungs quitting on me. And we are lonelying ourselves to death. And you've probably talked about the research on this podcast about it's when our body recognizes that it's alone. So back up and say 2000 years ago, we woke up on the plains in Nebraska and our tribe had left us. Our bodies knew we were going to die. We were going to get mm -hmm. eaten by something. We we're going to be exposed to the elements or we're going to run out of water. We're going to die. And it ha it's pulsed through fight or flight, man. You better get on your horse and find your people now, or you better get ready to fight off a bear because it's coming, right? 
And we live like that 24 seven, 365 year after year after year. And just like Drano, man, if you have a hair clog and you can dump Drano in there once every two or three years, it'll eat the clog out fine. If you woke up every morning and just dump Drano down your kitchen sink, it's going to eat through the pipes. And that's the adrenaline and the cortisol. It's running day after day, mm-hmm. after day, after day. All of that points back to you cannot do life alone. It's more devastating to your body biochemically than cigarettes. It's killing you. Get over yourself. And Jess was talking, just working through an active seal. And I asked him, this is a strange question. I said, brother, when you were on mission, when you are, your families don't know where you are. Everybody's, would you say you loved those men? And that he said his response was heavy. His response was a deep and unique and resounding love. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be connected in thought and breath and mind and spirit for all those years of training, all those years of mission, all those years where you look at each other and with one eyebrow move, you know, I'm going, you take flank and we can't talk about any of the stuff that happened ever. And then all of a sudden to be shipped off out of San Diego, out of Virginia. All right, you're free. Good to go. Go be a good citizen and make good choices, right? That's a body screaming for connection. And you mm-hmm. you walk that back to police officers. You walk that back to guys who just got off their high school baseball team. Mm-hmm. That's why so many dudes are stuck in a college and high school. Yeah, bro. And I was playing high school football because that's the last moment our brains were whole. And we were beating them up. <laughs> we were bashing them against each other. That's when our brains were whole because we had a gang, we had a team, we had a common mission. And until you get that, and it cannot be your wife and God help you, it can't be your kids. Stop dumping your relationships on children. They can't carry that weight. But dude, you've got to get a group of men to do life with. And you have to get a group of men that you love and who love you back. And if you're truly strong, you're truly a person of character, you'll say it out loud. And it's fun now to start getting old. And most of my friends are five, 10 years older than me. And now I got guys who are empty nesters who we hang up the phone and dude, I love fighting. I love it. And I wouldn't fight them. Like they're tougher than I am. And they say, Hey, I love you. Take care of your wife and hug your kids. It goes quick. And they hang up the phone and it's become more and more common. Find a group of guys to love. And if you're rolling your eyes right now, I'm specifically talking to you because you're Mm going to die a miserable, quiet, lonely life. And you're going to take everybody down with you. Right. And it's going to, it's going to eat you away from the inside. And I'm glad you just as a side note, I'm glad you mentioned the not dumping our relationships and burdens on our, on our children. That was a section of the book that I loved, but I I don't think it really warrants any further, uh, further delving into for our conversation today, because you you made the point there, but you're absolutely right. Uh, the guys that I trained jujitsu with on Sundays, that's specifically a group of guys where we get together. We we're all reading the same book. We talk about it. Mm. I usually lead people through an especially brutal workout. And then we train jujitsu. Half Mm. the guys in the room have done jujitsu for several years. The other half don't even have an athletic background. They're just guys that are wanting to get in there and and mix it up and get after it. And so it's not just hanging out in a group and it's not like this, this modern men's ministry thing where it's like, Oh, you showed up. You're just a, you're just a warm body. Well, here's a group of seven or eight men go and be vulnerable. Right. It's like, no, 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 you have have to to earn vulnerability. That's right. right. Like I went and spoke to a group and they never invited me back. Shock of all shocks. But that's, that was their model to just stick people in a group. And I literally out loud to everybody, I go, what did y'all do to earn that group? Yeah. What did y'all do to prove yourself to that group that you're not going to take those things that these, these burdens that these guys are laying on you and use it against them later. Those guys don't trust you. That's right. why when men accomplish things shoulder to shoulder, then they're able to accomplish things in a circle where they can tell each other that they love them, that I'm going to be here for you. And they're the same guys that will grab you by the you know scruff of your shirt. If they hear you say something biting to your wife over dinner that embarrassed her, because not only does he love you, he loves your entire family tree. And most guys aren't even worried about it, but I'm going to take myself back a little bit. This is, (laughs) this is my show, but it's an interview. Let's get back into the book here in chapter eight. I thought this was a very interesting section. Uh, you were talking about bricks in your backpack and you know, the, the burdens that we're carrying, you know, it's a very weighted type of movement type of thing, but I wanted to get a little bit more insight on a very specific section. So you have a section header titled, we're not a society of weak wimps. Yes. And literally right after reading this heading, I wrote in the margin, yes, we are. Right. And so like, and and I say this, you know, because of what's underneath the heading, we'll get into that. I'll read it here. All this talk of stories and bricks and trauma can sound woo woo. Like just another example of how we've all become a weak society full of wimps and wusses as if we're not tough, as tough as we used to be. This narrative is false. And so I got to tell you, John, I completely disagree with this narrative because I don't, 
I don't believe that we've gotten to this current degradation of our culture and, you know, the American spirit and the American way because a bunch of strong, able, willing, smart dudes made a bunch of great decisions and moves in succession, right? Yeah. We, we, I think we have gotten soft as a people. We are looking elsewhere uh, as a victim would to see who has caused this, you know, horrible thing to have befallen me. And so when I look out on humanity, John, especially in America, I see this tremendous lack of resilience. And you actually mentioned resilience early on in your book. And I freaking love that. It's like my favorite word in, in the English lexicon. But I think part of the reason for that is because we spend so much time focusing on our story and not just nutting up and fixing the crap that we've messed up or, or going to, to get our lives back. We, we navel gaze and we don't actually do anything. Am I crazy? Am I off? So here's, where my, here's my pushback on that is most people, so I, uh, you and I have been there too. So I, I'm, this is the pot talking the kettle here. We've seen it. We've been behind closed doors in the neighborhoods at 2.30 in the morning when everybody in that neighborhood's asleep. We know. We know how this ends, right? And we know what could happen, right? We've seen it. And very few people have, but those who have, know. What I've learned over the last couple of decades doing that kind of work is this. Most people, and this is, I believe this to my core, most people want to be doing better. Most people want to live different lives. And most people have absolutely zero, none, no picture of what that looks like. Mm. And they have no model for this. And so they can read all the books in their, in that they want. But if you haven't seen it, if you don't know what it looks like, then Jocko looks insane to you. Like, okay, cool. That's a Navy <laughs> hey. SEAL. Great, man. I'm, I'm glad that those guys are out protecting our country, but I don't know what that is. Right. <laughs> I'm just a single mom with two kids trying to figure out what day it is. Right. Or yeah. I'm 24 years old and I followed the path that was laid out for me. I made relatively good grades. I didn't smoke weed. I got, well, that nobody knows about, and I didn't go to jail. And then I went to college. I owe $111,000 for my bachelor's degree now. And I'm a programmer in a dead eye job, right? I just did what y'all told me to do. And so when I, when I think of the, the trauma metaphor as a backpack full of bricks or full of rocks that we're carrying this crap around, what I find is that when people figure out that they are carrying this stuff around, that that person who hurt you this many years ago, that that person who did these things, that life of poverty you were born into, that that was the air you breathed can be different. And they set those bricks down. Dude, I don't, I, I don't mean this in a negative way. When they take those backpacks off, they're stronger than me and you. They are powerful. That's resilience. And so it's really shifting a mindset from... If you can literally sit down on a couch for nine hours and play a video game without moving, I can't do that. You have something in your brain that is stronger and more powerful than me. Let me channel that into actually changing this society for the better, changing your family tree, family changing your unit. And you try to get off that couch and you suck and you're a loser and that's all you'll ever be. And mom will take care of all your crap for you. And nobody showed you how to get up and do a squat and nobody, you don't even know what a burpee is. You think that's what happens when you eat too many Cheetos. Like <laughs> it, if somebody will give another picture for that person, dude, they are stronger than us. I worked at a uh, Hispanic serving university for a season there in Texas. It was an extraordinary school. Um, and to see some of my students who grew up, whose parents were uneducated, they were working really hard as day laborers and they took that work ethic and they looked their kids in the eye and said, oh, oh, make no mistake. You're going to med school, right? <laughs> yeah. And those students use that work ethic and that drive and that power. And then they learn how the game works. The university game works. Dude, they're 10x smarter than me, right? They're running laps around me and they had way further to go and they were carrying a lot more crap in their bag, right? So that's what I mean. It's a statement of empowerment. It's not an excuse. And yes, if we look at bench press and we look at like uh, physical fitness metrics, oh, dude, we're all dying from being overweight. Yeah, we yeah. can't do pull-ups or push-ups. All that's true, right? All that's true. But this is more of a an innate psychological. Dude, if you can do some of these things you're pulling off all day, every day, if we can teach you how to be unleashed, man, it is, it is no holds barred. It is hell's breaking loose. Right. It's And it's also, and, and you said it there, it's calling them to something higher. Right. So that's why I love watching like second gen generation immigrants 
just get after it oh, dude, because like their, their parents from Korea or India or somewhere like that. And they're like, Oh, you don't want to study. You don't want, Oh, okay. Well, let's just go with your wants, dear. No, they say you're going to study and you're going to get after it. And some people are like, Oh, that's pathological. And that's terrible. It's like, no, it's not. That person is going to get after it for the rest of their life. But also you're calling them into another story. Just a quick story that I had. I used to be on this uh, scholarship committee that we would pick people for one of the biggest scholarships in the state of Oklahoma. And there was this kid that came in. He was like 34 on his ACT captain the, of the, the football team and basketball team. And like, he was Mr. Everything, right? comes to the university in his first semester, his grade point average was zero, hmm. zero. And we're like, something must be wrong in the computer system. So we have some chats with this kid and it's like, oh, you know, he's just trying to figure himself out, blah, blah, blah. Very next semester, grade point average, zero, fails out of college, hmm. right? What we found out about this kid is his entire life was regimented by his mother. His mother told him when to wake up. She told him what to eat for breakfast. She told him when he had to leave. She told him when he had to study. She told him when he had to go to practice, when his games were, what he should do after the game. And when he got to college, he's like, wait a minute, I can just bathe when I want to. I can go eat when and however much I want to. So the kid literally sat in his room and played World of Warcraft for yeah. two semesters. And I have no idea where the kid is now. I hope he's doing fine. But it's because he had been told his calling, but he was not welcomed into a calling. His he mom stole from him, right? His mom yeah, robbed exactly. him. Right? That is and the he, exact way. And here's what sucks. This is the world and it's, it's the way that it is. He bears the, he bears the generational curse of his mother yeah. who got her self-esteem, who got her, um, who got her purpose in life by running his. And he's the one that we stare at and go, you screwed this up. You had a golden ticket. You're a failure. You're a loser. <laughs> And he's going, I'll do it. I don't have the tools. And then I know enough about neuroscience to know his brain is beating a drum inside of his head of, of all sorts of neurochemicals saying, get up, go, you're a failure, you're a shame, you're a piece of crap, you're never going to... And he knows it, and he knows it, and he knows it, and he knows it. And the shame cycle doesn't stop, it doesn't stop, it doesn't stop until he flunks out of college, kisses a beautiful thing goodbye. And is that an excuse? No, it's a context. It's a context, not an excuse. Yeah, that dude didn't go to class. He didn't go say, I need this, something better. And, right, do I give up on that kid? Do I call him a loser and weak? No, he clearly has the skills. What he needs is a different set of tools in his toolkit. And that's, that's. I mean, going back to my show, that's what we do, man. I'm just giving people different tools, man. Right. Most people want to build the house. All they have is a screwdriver and a and a hammer, right? Yeah. But dude, get a saw and a, and a couple other, and a level. It works way better, man. Well, some of these people, they go to a job site and all they realize they have is a squirt gun. And so it's like, this is literally good for nothing except right. for pissing off everybody that's on the work side after actually getting after it. Uh, well, the last thing I, I want to talk about in your book, and guys, the book will be in the show notes so you can go and get it yourself. Check it out. It is out. If you're listening to this on time, it is out this week. So get those first week sales, y'all. Let's get so it. Let's towards get the it. end of the book, you take us through a story about you interacting with one of your classmates. I believe this was uh, during one of your PhD programs because mm, you have yeah, yeah. two PhDs. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but you talk about this quote that this woman said to you that changed your life. And I absolutely love this quote. Her quote yeah. to you was this, your clients don't get that type of access to you. They don't have permission to hurt you. You decide who gets to hurt your feelings, John. And so I, you know, I didn't tee it up super properly, but you were talking about how, you know, you were being affected by some of the stories of your clients and it was, you know, giving you the sads and all these different things. But I love that quote. You decide who gets to hurt your feelings. We live in an era, I know this is breaking news to you, John. We live in an era where there's no such thing as capital T truth. There's your truth and my truth and their truth, right? There's no such thing as reality. There's whatever I want to make me feel good. And then I get to change how you refer to me. I get to change how society operates around me. And guess what? If you step out outside of that line, even a little bit, even if it's a microaggression, mm -hmm. no way. You've hurt my feelings and now you must pay. You must bow down before me, prostrate yourself before the king and the king is me at all times. Mm -hmm. So help me understand understand how you've taken that quote, you decide who gets to hurt your feelings, John, and kind of weaved it into this philosophy about how to lead a better life and not being such a wuss. So, um, I would say the, like the, the way you rattled it off, it's not all mutually exclusive that way. So I would say two things guide my life. Number one, I have decided the six people who have access to my inner being, six people who I trust implicitly. Um, I trust, um, I love implicitly, I value their families and their kids, as you mentioned earlier, and they value mine. And so when like a funny example is I posted something on, the, on Instagram, I thought was hilarious. 
And my buddy called and said, Hey dude, that was awesome. Take that down. And I was like, what in this guy, he's <laughs> dude. He, I, I, I have a pretty foul mouth and he makes me blush. Like it's, it's, it's a special thing. There's a special group of sailors that would revere this guy. And so I'm thinking in my head, what do you mean? Tell, <laughs> take it down. That's hilarious. And he goes, it is. And that's not who you are. Take that down. And here's what I did. I took it down. I was kind of pissed, but I trust him. And I've given him permission to speak into my life. He's 10 years older than me. He's wiser than me. He's seen more of the world than I have. And he knows as an outside reader, here's how I took this. You sounded like an ass. And that's not who you are. And more importantly, that's not who you're trying to be, right? So I get to own that. And I also, the second operating strategy I have is one of hospitality and kindness. You want me to call you Dan? I'll call you Dan. Like, I'm not going to, I refuse to lose sleep over issues of hospitality, right? The way I describe that is I had a, 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 a colleague years ago saying, um, you know, this, this just, wa- they want us to, to say this. I'm not going to say that. That's ridiculous. I'm doing the best I can. I love them. And they just need to like accept it, man. I'm working hard. And my response was, hey, uh, you've got a daughter. I've got a daughter. She's on a date. And she's with the star quarterback and he's a handsome fella. And he leans over and kisses her pretty hard. It's kind of his thing. And it's kind of cool that the quarterback just kissed her daughter that she thinks. And also like, ah, that kind of hurt. And he leans in to do it again. And she stops and says, Hey, that hurts. Um, Can we do it gently? And he said, Nope, I'm going to love you all how I want to love you. I could care less how you want to be loved. I'm going to be love you because I'm, I'm bigger than you. And there's more of me here than there is of you. And I, he was like, oh, no. And then I, he looked at me and his eyes got big and he goes, ah, I see what you just did there. Right. <laughs> so my I am not going to carry somebody else's negative energy. I'm just not. Right. If you believe that, man, I need to put masks on all of my kids and my pets and my family. Or you believe that masks are the sign of end times and it's the it's the slippery slope to nuclear war. Great. You're are all welcome. You're all I, welcome at my house. I'll cook. I, right. <laughs> and you bring whatever half bottle of whatever you got and I'll cook. Right. That's that's been my philosophy. I'm gonna hold it really loosely. Why? I've sat with too many people whose kid, whose child is dead in the next room. And I realized, dude, it goes fast. It goes fast. And so I'm gonna hold it as loosely as possible. And my values, of which I've got about 10, they are etched in stone, right? And so if we cross those values, yeah, I'm going to stand up. If you come into my home, then I'm going to ask you to be hospitable because it's my house, right? If we're going to sit down and have a hard discussion, then I'm going to ask you to say, I'm sorry, because I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you to be forgiving because I'm forgiving. I'm asking you to give grace because I'm going to give grace. And then we're going to say, pass the rolls, right? And is that a pie in the sky? Can you do that with world leaders who are just bent on blowing things up. Nope. There's a time. That's why we train, right? There's a time when those times when are so few and far between. Usually it's, Hey man, I'm sorry. I bumped you in this bar. I'm going to buy you a drink and have a great night. Do I got to protect my men? No, dude, I don't have to protect anything. Why? Cause I'm a good husband. I'm a good dad. I'm a good community member. I got an emergency fund. I don't owe anybody any money and life is pretty good. And this guy's obviously struggling with something that I'm not, I'm going to buy him a drink. And I'm going to move on with my day. Right. And that's my ethos towards the world and all the internet trolls and all of the like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you go hunting with your kid. You murder. That's great, man. And I'm sorry that you don't do that. Um, it's a pretty special experience that I have and I love it. And I also honor the fact that you don't. How about this? You don't have to write on my Instagram. Like, that's cool. Let's, right. let's, we can be friends. And you know, I promise I'm not going to come to your, to your vegan site and throw bombs at you. Cause I've got vegans in my life who I love and yeah. I mock their carrots the same way they mock my steak. And then we all, our kids play together and we laugh, right? So I'm going to hold it so, so loosely. And the things I got to hold tight are going to be very few and far between, including other people's opinions of my life. Well, and you can also take those opinions that other people have and do this. Oop, I just put my phone down and I'm not looking at it. I know, so dude, there's, just a, there's this incredible thing. I didn't know it was on this. It's called an off button. I can just turn it off. It's I don't shocking. have to look at it. Yeah, You don't have to leave it on for the two years until you get your new one. But I, I do want to uh, do two couple follow-ups on the thing that you just talked about. So when another guy in your life corrects you, mm-hmm. you need to really, and I'm saying this generally, not to you, John, you got to really war, like, deal with that in the most masculine and 
uh, mature way possible. I had a guy years ago, uh, he was with a bunch of dudes at a bar and he's an accountant and he's not like, you know, this really, really bad dude. And they were all flipping off the camera. And so he gives the double birds to the camera. I see the picture he posted online and I call him and I go, Hey man, I saw uh, that you were hanging out with those guys. I love those guys. Uh, you should probably take that picture down because who is that for? Is that for your CPA audience? Is that for, for the people that you're going to be filing their taxes? Who exactly is that for? And he, he flipped. He, he was ready to go. He's ready to fight, right, with me. And he he tells his dad later about what happened, and his dad very calmly said, well, did you take it down, and was that the right thing to do? And he's like, well, well yeah. And so it was like, but he immediately went into like, no, you're not going to challenge my masculinity. I make all the right decisions here and all that. So I just wanted to kind okay, of reinforce. Can I, can, I, can, we, can I lean into that real in. quick? Let's go. Yes. Here, here's what's important. If you will be curious about your body's response to things, that's the answer. Be curious about your body. If your friend calls you and says, hey, bro, <laughs> cute, you still part your hair the same way you did when your mom did it for you and you're an accountant, take down the double bird photo. If you instantly go to rage, stop and don't get, be curious. Why is my body trying to protect me right now? What's it protecting me of? And I guarantee you, it's going to be a story that this is what this looks like. You're not allowed to do this. You've been told this is the right way to live your life. And this is my life I can do, right? And then you got to look in the mirror and own reality. Acknowledge it. Dude, I'm an, <laughs> I'm an accountant, right? Uh, that's what I do. And I'm really not a double bird kind of guy. I could be yeah. that guy. I'm going to have fewer clients and it's going to be weird. I'm going to end up with a sleeve tattoo that my other buddies are like, <laughs> all right, cool, man. Did you get the pie symbol tattooed on your, like, cool, whatever. Um, you're going to end up there and congratulations. We'll golf clap for you and we'll all buy chips and queso. But like, what are you doing? right? Follow your body back. And it always comes back to, you got to own the store. Why am I mad? Right. When that guy cut me yeah. off on the highway, why am I mad? That guy has nothing to do with me. Why am I mad? Oh, it's because I don't want my kids to grow up without a dad. And my dad didn't show up for me. And I, my body remembers this story and that guy's trying to take it away from me because he's texting and driving. That's why I'm pissed yeah. off. I'm going to take my foot off the gas and slow down a little bit. Right. Cause that's what I can control. So, right. Man, I love that. Thank you for bringing that up. Well, that's a great thing because this is a guy that I love and respect and love his family. And, you know, he came full circle with it. And I, I can't talk trash on him. Like the number of times that I have been like level 10 through the roof angry about stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with me. The number of times I've let sports ruin my night. Like I refuse. <laughs> I'm in my mid thirties and it's like, I'm never, I'm never ever going to let sports ruin my night ever, ever again. But there was another thing that you brought up. I'm just going to blow up the rest of my interview because we're running out of time. It, I, I had all these really cute questions. I was going to ask you. You were oh, thinking I was really, really smart, it. but, but this is something I think is, it is incredibly important because you talked about things that are etched in stone. This is etched in stone for me. And that is truth. Capital T, truth, that there is truth. So you brought something up earlier. So like if somebody says, I want to be called Dan, then call them Dan. So if I've known this person their entire life is Darla, and then one day they come to me and say, Kyle, I've changed my name to Dan. Fair enough. I'll call you your new name. You can even, you don't even have to show me your driver's license. That's great. But if Darla tries to tell me that not only is she Dan now, but she is now also a he, and that we should change society around he, she, they, you know, Zer, whatever. That's where I'm like, no, I'm not going to go with you down this path where I, I'm feeding into your delusion. If you are, if you said you were a ficus, I wouldn't water you. If you said you were a dog, I'm not going to take you for a walk. I'm not going to do that because capital T truth, like a name is a name. I don't care what your name is, right? Your, your hair color, your piercings, none of that matters to me, but I do care about truth. And the moment you start saying that the, the, you know, gender binary, we're getting into, you know, really, really tough subjects here. And I know you got to kind of toe the line because of who you work for, but that, that's, that's the thing that is so, I don't toe lines very well. So we're, yeah. yeah, let's go. I don't like towing lines either. Let's jump right into it. But that's the thing for me is it's like capital T truth. We can't go beyond that. That does not give me license to hate you. That does not give me license to treat you as less than, but I believe that you were born in the image of God, male and female. He created them, right? And so I want to call you in to a higher place of being where you embrace who God created you to be, regardless of your name, regardless of your hair color. So that's very, very important to me. What say you to that? So I think two things are important there. One is perspective of truth. And um, throughout history— Millions and millions and millions and millions of people. Here's another hot button issue. We're told that the world is flat. And so they didn't take their boats out too far and they didn't venture and they didn't start new things. 
until they learn something different, until somebody had the audacity to say, I'll go to Mars and I'm not coming home. Right. And all of a sudden they found out the thing was round. And so there's a perspective on truth that we sit in regardless of what it is. And so what you just said, I am um, made in the image of God and I want to call people into that truth. Um, I've got very dear friends who are, and I happen to be a, I believe in God. Um, I've got friends who are dear friends and our kids have played together for years and they are stone atheist and they would call me into their truth. And let's, so it's truth is a matter of perspective and there's a bedrock of truth, right? That we sit on like four plus four is, is just eight, man. <laughs> I almost said four plus four is six and that would have been awesome. <laughs> it's eight. So it's, here, here's the thing. It's navigating. When is this in stone? And when is this a truth that we've known for a long time? And you said it at, at the very end there. What we tend to do is to, to draw lines and say, absolutely not. I refuse to fill in the blank. I refuse to hang out with this group. I refuse to say those words. I refuse to go to this particular place. I refuse to put on that mask. I refuse to get this shot, whatever the thing is, right? What I want to do is to call people around a table and have a conversation. Have, invite people into your house who you believe share different truths than you, if it's safe, right? And that to me is where I'm going to learn a different perspective around an issue. It may not change it, but it's going to humanize the issue. And what we often lose in the truth conversations is the human beings. We killed Galileo, right? We killed him. We killed Jesus. We killed these folks who said, hey, there's another way to do this because it was outside the norm. It was, quote unquote, not truth. And so I always want to hold that very loosely. And at the same time, etch into stone. Here's what I firmly believe. And if I run up against somebody who believes something different, not not um, has different thoughts or different feelings, but no, this is truth. Then, bro, that's the first. I smile big and say, dude, grab some hot dogs and come over, man. Let's figure this out. Let's have a good time with this. And those have become some of my deepest, closest friends because man, I've got no interest in going to war with people because it just right. ends up in piles of bodies. Well, well John, like I, I agree with, with some of those sen sentiments. Like I love having conversations with people that disagree with me vehemently than people that agree with me vehemently because that can only go so many places when That's everybody right. just right. agrees. It's like, oh, we love all the same music, movies, and people. Great. Let's be bored for the next 45 minutes. But when you're talking with somebody and you're actually sparring and engaging with them, the difference is, is whenever you invite someone to a conversation, which is like 2022 speak for, you know, uh, we're not going to have... Hey, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that alone. I was going to say some <laughs> kind of rude, but like when you no, do bring that, it, bring it, bring it, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, eventually we have to get to what is true because if you, so, so your friends that are atheists, right. Or agnostics or whatever, yeah. right. You both can't be right. Right. They can't believe that God doesn't exist. And you believe that God does exist and you're both right. Only one of you can be right. My, my friend who is in the uh, special operations force that, you know, asked me, Kyle, why the F do you care if I believe in God? Why do you care so much? I was like, brother, because if you're wrong, it's your eternity. If I'm wrong, we both end up as worm food. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I've wasted all this time and effort and money going to church and trying to bless people, but it's all fake. We can't both be true. We can't both be right. You know what I mean? And I don't let those people access to going back to the previous conversation. They don't get a vote in my life, right? It's when you say, you're no longer allowed to do this. You're no longer allowed to go to a house of worship. You're no longer allowed to go to a gym. We, you're not allowed to eat meat anymore. We've decided meat is murder and we've yeah. thrown out biochemistry and all the things like we've decided these things. Once your truth then is imposed on what I think is, not what I think, what I feel and believe and know and have studied and et cetera, et cetera that it's going to inform different actions I got to take. Yeah. Then I'm going to, I'm, it's going to run up against one of my values. Right. Right. But until then, yeah, man, it's the, the, let's have a conversation about it is usually, yeah, it's code for, um, we're, we're going to end up doing what I want to do. Right. right. That's, that's <laughs> right. usually what exactly. that means. And all, it's because we're obsessed with, I got to please everybody. Mm -hmm. And dude, I just, I'm, I just don't have that energy in me anymore. Um, yeah. I just spent 30 years with my, hands clenched so tight looking for the next fight. I just couldn't, I couldn't wait to find the next fight, whether it was academic or intellectual or physical, right? I couldn't wait. And dude, what a waste, what a waste, what an absolute waste. And so I'm spending way more energy on love and hospitality than I am on anything else until you say, Hey, you have to have to have to do this. Um, and then I'm going to really lean up against, let's have a deal. <laughs> 
let's have another conversation because this one's going to be different. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, uh, I feel like we left about 45 minutes on the bone on this interview. So that just means we're going to have to do do this again, again. man. Let's do it again. On this show or your show, we'll figure it out that the world needs to keep this conversation going. But as of now, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? I'm grateful for you, brother. Thank you so much for your hospitality and for that cool lion face behind your head. Hey, I do my best. John Deloney, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, brother. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with John Deloney. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link to the book that we talked about mainly on the podcast, which is Own Your Past, Change Your Future, and also his other book he released in 2020 called Redefining Anxiety, What It Is, What It Isn't, and How to Get Your Life Back. I've also got links to the Ramsey Solutions page so you can get a little bit more information on John Deloney and some of the things that he's doing. But also I've got a link to his YouTube show and his podcast show so you can check that out as well all right guys thanks so much for listening to this show we do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this please subscribe rate and leave us a positive five-star review if you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life that's info at undaunted.life you can follow us on instagram and like us on facebook and check out our website for everything else including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way just go to www.undaunted.life and we want to also thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music for our content the music on this podcast is our song cutting the ties which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah.